0: you get the peace which God himself has, the same peace and calm that characterizes the God of the universe. You get as a gift, as it were, the serenity in which God lives.
1: Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington, Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hi, I'm Bill Wright. Today, Tom continues our current series, Six Steps to Spiritual Stability. Horatio Spafford's life story is truly remarkable. Around his early 40s, his life began to unravel. His only son died, he lost extensive real estate holdings in the 1871 Chicago Fire, and he lost his four daughters when their ship sank on its way to Europe. As he was traveling to Wales to visit his grieving wife, he penned these words over the spot where his children had died, and I quote, "'When peace like a river attendeth my way,' When sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, It is well, it is well with my soul. What a remarkable response to such horrific circumstances, and what incredible peace is available for those who trust God. And as you'll discover today, the very same peace that God himself embodies is available to you today. Let's open our Bibles now and join Tom Pennington with today's message on The Word Unleashed.
0: What are the things that we worry about? What are the things that so deeply concern us? See if you find yourself in this list. Of those who were surveyed, 28% said they worry about money and financial issues. 17% about job and career. 14% marriage issues. 12% social relationships, 9% personal appearance and weight issues, 7.5% said family and children was sort of the constant preoccupation of their worry, 4% said it was health. What is it you worry about? You know, worry isn't one of those sins we take too seriously, is it? We kind of joke and tease about it. And at one level, that's understandable, but at another, it's not. Worry is a potentially damning sin. I don't know if you've ever thought about that or not. You remember the parable of the soils? Turn back to Luke chapter 8. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus describes the various condition of men's heart when the gospel is sown into that heart. And he describes one as soil that was thorny. And he explains it this way in Luke chapter 8, verse 14. He says, The seed which fell among thorns, that is the gospel, was sown into this heart, and this heart was a thorny heart. Here's what I mean, he says. These are the ones who have heard, they heard the gospel, and as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life, and they bring no fruit to maturity. Listen, there are those who receive the gospel, and because of a sin no more serious than the worries about this life and the pleasures of this life, the gospel is choked out and never comes to fruition. They never come to true, genuine faith in Jesus Christ. You know, this issue of worry is a very serious issue. And it's one that Jesus himself dealt with on a number of occasions in his ministry, but nowhere more clearly and directly than in Matthew chapter 6. You remember, during the Sermon on the Mount, he addresses this issue of worry. In Matthew 6, verse 24, he makes this overarching point no one can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You've got to choose. You cannot serve God and wealth. You can't be a slave of God's and a slave of wealth at the same time. Therefore, he says, for this reason, stop worrying. He says, don't be worried, verse 25, about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink or for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow. They don't reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? Literally, it says, who can add a cubit, 18 inches, to his lifespan? Can't be done. In fact, if you worry, you'll, you may end up subtracting several cubits. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They don't toil. They don't spin. And Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. If God so clothes the field, of the, the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith, Jesus says. Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat or what we drink or what we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And we sit in 21st century America. Well, I'm off the hook for that message because I never worry about what I'm going to drink. I just turn on the tap water. I never worry about what I'm going to eat. i got a refrigerator and a freezer in the garage filled with food. A pantry. I don't worry about what I'm going to wear. I walk into my closet and i got a bunch of clothes I can choose from. Well, look at the next verse. You're not off the hook. Verse 34, so do not worry about tomorrow. Listen, folks, every time we worry, it's about what? It's not about the past. It's about the future. It's about maybe something, what effect, something that happened in the past will have on the future, but it's always about the future. It's about tomorrow. So nothing we worry about is legitimate, Christ says. That's what Paul is saying back in Philippians chapter 4. Be anxious for nothing. Let me ask you a simple question. Do you worry about anything? Do you worry about anything? Well, let me give you something else to worry about. If you worry about anything, Paul and Christ both say that every time you do, you're sinning against God. You say, why? I don't really understand that. I mean, it doesn't really hurt anyone but me. Why is worry a sin? Because when we worry, in effect, we are saying, God, listen, I understand that you've said that nothing happens outside of your control, and I understand that you've said you'll use everything in my life to my good and to your glory, but God, I have to say, I just don't think you can pull it off. That's really what worry says. If you struggle with worry, you're sitting there thinking, you know, this is fine for Paul to say, but... In the real world, it can't be done. I mean, I've tried all kinds of methods and gimmicks, and I just can't stop worrying. Well, that same survey I quoted a few minutes ago, they also asked these people, how did they try to cope with their worry? What things did they do to try to keep them from worrying? They could choose more than one answer. Here are the answers. 62% said they distract themselves with other activities. 55% said they listen to music. 53% sleep. 52% discuss it with a friend. 46% watch television. Oh, now there's a solution. 40% eat. 40% also try to talk themselves into a calmer state of mind. 39% just ignore it. I don't know how you ignore worry. Worry by definition is not something you can ignore. 33% go to physical exercise. 27%, here's a good solution, Fight with the people in my life was the answer. 26% use some form of drugs. 22% buy, or excuse me, shop or buy themselves a present. (laughs) And 20% use alcohol. Let me tell you, folks, not one of those solutions is a permanent one. But Paul tells us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit how to keep from being anxious. Notice the prescription, second half of verse 6. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Here's another one of those sweeping absolutes. In everything, in every detail and event of life, in anything that causes you to be anxious, respond this way. He tells us to respond with prayer. Now, there are various kinds of prayer, as you know in the scripture there's the prayer of praise, the prayer of adoration, the prayer of worship the prayer of lament. But here, the focus is on petitions, asking God for what we need. Paul uses two synonyms in verse 6, prayer and supplication. Prayer is just the general word for prayer, usually refers to a petition, asking for something. And supplication is a word that stresses a sense of need, coming with a request because of an urgent, pressing need. Sometimes for yourself and sometimes for others. In this context, it's for yourself. Now, notice what our responsibility is. It's it's caught up in the main verb of the sentence. The verb is literally, let it be made known to God or let it be known to God. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't already know. We just read, Christ said, your father knows what you need before you ever ask. So it isn't to inform God. Instead, this expression, let it be known to God, is is kind of a colloquial expression in the original language. It's kind of a personal expression. We would say something like, just talk to God about it. Just tell God. Let it be known to God. You see, the cure for anxiety is simple. Talk to God. As R. Rainey said, the way to be anxious about nothing is to be prayerful about everything. What are you and I to make known to God? Paul says, make your requests known to God. I love the picture of this. In second Kings, I want you to turn back to Second Kings, chapter 19. There's a picture of exactly how to do this in the life of one of Judah's kings, a man by the name of Hezekiah. The scenario is this: Israel is besieged by Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, and they are threatening to destroy the city of Jerusalem, the people of God, carry them off even captive. They write a very threatening letter. In verse 14 of 2 Kings 19, Hezekiah took the letter from the hand of the messengers, and he read it. Now, folks, here is cause for worry. We're going to kill you. We're going to kill your people. We're going to destroy your homeland, and we're going to carry what's left off into captivity. There's something to worry about. But how did Hezekiah respond? I love this. He went up to the house of the Lord, verse 14 says, and he spread it out before the Lord. He just took the letter and he spread it out before the Lord and he said, Here, Lord, look at this. Look at what I find myself in. Look at the mess I've got. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord, verse 15, and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, who are enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made the heaven and the earth. Incline your ear, O oh Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O oh Lord, and see. And listen to the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, O oh Lord, the kings of Assyria have devastated the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. He says, listen, look at the mess we're in. Look at what we're facing. The work of men's hands, wood and stone. And they were not gods, so they have destroyed them. Now, O oh Lord, our God, I pray Deliver us from his hand. There's his request. Let your request be made known to God. Deliver us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. That's what you do. You take your request and you spread it out as it were before God. You lay the situation out before God. Notice God's response in verse 20. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Because you have prayed to me, about Sennacherib, king of Syria. I have heard you. And God answers and miraculously delivers the people of Israel from this threat. That's what it means. Or as Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 7, it's casting all your anxiety on Him, knowing that He cares for you. It's rolling off onto God everything that's a burden to you, everything that causes anxiety to you. You see, there's no such thing as a chronic worrier with an exemplary prayer life. The two do not go together. This command, by the way, to pray about the things that, makes us, that make us anxious, this command provides us with clues as to the real purpose of prayer. You see, prayer isn't to inform God. We've already seen that. Prayer isn't to change God's mind. It isn't to alter His eternal plan. Instead, prayer is for us. Prayer isn't about changing God prayer is about changing us. Why does God command us to pray? Because of what it produces in us. It produces humility in us. God, like with Hezekiah, there's nothing I can do about this. It produces dependence on God. God, you have to act. I can't resolve this. It produces trust. And God, I know you can. You're capable of doing it. There's another amazing thing about our prayers. Although they don't change God's eternal plan, that is eternal in the heavens, God delights, and listen carefully to this, in using our prayers as the means through which he accomplishes his eternal plan. That's what happened with Hezekiah. Could God have delivered the people of Israel without Hezekiah's prayer? Well, of course he could. He's God. But instead... In the marvelous reality of his providence, he uses Hezekiah's prayer as the means through which he accomplishes his eternal purpose and plan. And every time you and I pray and God responds, that is what happens. An amazing reality. Prayer is also the believer's cure for worry and anxiety. Now you may be sitting there thinking, look, I've heard all this before and it doesn't work. I've tried it. Why is it that some Christians pray and still don't experience peace? Well, notice back in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Paul adds a brief prepositional phrase, and I am convinced that these two words make all the difference. With thanksgiving. You see, the real emphasis in this sentence is not so much even on praying, but on praying with thanksgiving. And that's not merely saying thank you. Instead, it's speaking of deep, heartfelt gratitude. Paul regularly associates prayer with thanksgiving. You can see it in a number of places. Turn over a few pages in Colossians to chapter 4, verse 2. You'll see one of them. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. And he talks about this issue of thanksgiving in so many places. You can look at Ephesians 5.4, 5, Ephesians 5.20, Colossians 3.15 and 17, of course, the familiar give thanks in everything in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. And you'll notice that even in Revelation, in eternity, in the future, we'll still be giving thanks to God. You can look at Revelation chapter 7, verse 12. So why is it that thanksgiving in prayer is so important? You see, if you thank God Before you know how God's going to answer your request, what does that show? It shows that you have confidence in God's goodness and in his sovereignty, and you submit yourself to it. You're saying, God, I thank you regardless of how you choose to answer, because I know you, I know you're good, and I trust you. John MacArthur, in his commentary on Philippians, says, people become worry, anxious, and fearful because they do not trust in God's wisdom Power or goodness. They fear that God is not wise enough, strong enough, or good enough to prevent disaster. It may be that the sinful doubt is because their knowledge of him is faulty or that sin in their lives has crippled their faith. Thankful prayer brings relief from fear and worry because it affirms God's sovereign control over every circumstance and that his purpose is the believer's good. End quote. You say, how can I develop that kind of confidence in God? The kind of confidence that will allow me to, as I present my request, also thank Him regardless of what the outcome is. Well, we read it in Psalm 100 this morning. In Psalm 100, notice verses 4 and 5. Enter His gates with thanksgiving, His courts with praise, give thanks to Him, bless His name. Here we're commanded to thank God. Why? 4, verse 5. Because the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and His faithfulness to all generations. Listen, folks, the foundation of our gratitude is in the character of God. That's how you learn to pray with thanksgiving, regardless of how God chooses to answer your prayer because you find your hope and your confidence in the goodness, the loving kindness, the faithfulness of God. So we've seen the prohibition. We've seen the prescription. Let's take a look for a moment. At the promise, verse 7. And the peace of God, which passes all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Here's the result of talking to God about everything with a thankful heart. And notice the promise isn't conditioned on your getting what you ask for, it comes to all who follow the prescription, whether they get what they ask for or not. The promise, notice, is for the peace of God. Now, this could be describing a sort of inner peace, this feeling of peace. And certainly it does involve that. But I think it's better translated, you get the peace which God himself has. The same peace and calm that characterizes the God of the universe. You get as a gift, as it were, the serenity in which God lives. You and I are invited to share in God's peace. He adds that this peace surpasses all human comprehension. In other words, it totally transcends the human mind. It's not human, it's supernatural peace. The natural mind can't begin to understand it. Paul says that's the peace that will guard your hearts and minds. The word guard is used in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 32 to describe a detachment of soldiers guarding the city of Damascus. That's the picture behind this word. It would have been very familiar, the metaphor would have been very familiar to the citizens of Philippi, because there was stationed in Philippi as an outpost, a garrison of Roman soldiers there to preserve the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. If you talk to God about the things that trouble you, and if you're able to thank him in advance for whatever he decides to do, then Paul says the peace of God will be like a garrison of soldiers guarding your heart and mind. And that's the trouble spot, isn't it? Our hearts and minds. Anxiety, listen to this, is never in your circumstances. Anxiety starts in your heart and mind. Two people can face the same circumstances, and one will be anxious and the other not. It's because the real issue is what's going on inside, in our hearts, the center of our person, in our minds, the place where our thoughts are conceived. But I don't think Paul is differentiating here. I think he's trying to say this, the peace of God will comprehensively guard your entire inner person. Like Psalm 55, cast your burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. Isaiah 26, 3, the steadfast of mind that is in God, you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Now, don't misunderstand here. God is not promising to answer your prayer the way you want. He's not promising to remove all the trouble that you're praying about. Nor is God promising that the things you've been worrying about won't happen. They may What God is promising here is something far more amazing. He's promising that if you will talk honestly with him about your struggles with a truly thankful heart for whatever he brings, he will do something supernatural in your heart. You will enjoy the same kind of peace that God himself enjoys as he sits on his eternal, unshakable, untouchable throne. I think the best illustration of this is one that you've probably heard of before. A man by the name of Horatio Spatford. Horatio Spafford was a successful Chicago attorney, but around his early 40s, his life just started to unravel. His only son died a few months later. His extensive real estate holdings were destroyed in the Chicago fire of 1871. And a few months after that, he booked a, a ship, a cruise, to Europe to go over and, with his family At the last minute, something came up with his business. He wasn't able to go. He was going to join his family. On the way, the ship sank, and his wife survived, but his four daughters, the rest of his family, died. As he was sailing to Wales to comfort his bereaving wife, he asked the captain to pause over the spot where his children had died. And it was there that he penned those words that we sing, When peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. That is supernatural peace. If I were to paraphrase what we've learned from this passage this morning, it would go something like this. Stop worrying about anything. Instead, in every detail and circumstance of life, by prayers and petitions, let God know what you'd like Him to do. But even as you're telling Him your desires, tell Him that you trust Him. And that you thank Him for answering in a way that's best for you, even if it isn't what you ask for. And if you'll do that, then the very same peace that God Himself enjoys will stand guard over your entire inner being. Who can benefit from these amazing verses? Notice how Paul concludes verse 7. Those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who are inseparably united to Jesus Christ. Listen, Paul isn't talking here about the generic value of secular prayer and meditation if you've never become a follower of Jesus Christ it saddens me to tell you that you may close your eyes and you may think you're speaking to God and you may feel better when you're done but it's not biblical prayer in fact Christ says God isn't listening John 14 6 says he who would come to God comes only through Christ I am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the Father but through me. If you're in Christ Jesus, then you have every reason to be thankful today.
1: That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part four of Six Steps to Spiritual Stability. Tom will continue with part five on our next program as he once again takes us to God's Word, and we do hope you'll join us then. But before we leave you today, here again is Tom with some closing thoughts.
0: When I think about prayer, my mind often goes to the words of the psalmist, when the righteous cry, the Lord hears. You know, there's no special formula, no secret to coming to God in prayer. It's simply coming to our Father and opening our hearts to Him, letting our requests be made known and trusting Him with the outcome of all of that. We just need to have the confidence to know that that we're accepted in Christ and that He has our
1: best in mind. And then we can come and lay our needs before Him and trust Him. Thanks, Tom. And friend, The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening. The Word Unleashed exists because God, in His Word, has given you every spiritual resource you need to grow in Jesus Christ. It's our prayer that the power of God's Word be unleashed in your life.